Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. How are you? Ikiyo cowboy. Ikiyo <laughs> You have a very odd um gosh, who what singer does that remind me of? I don't I don't I wouldn't even begin to know. That was a horrific <laughs> thing that I just did on the on the <laughs> recording. That was terrible. It was unique. <laughs> Why who would want that out there? Uh, what kind of idiot think. would record themselves doing that? Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I haven't seen anything in the theaters uh, because I am totally, totally absorbed in Game of Thrones. Ooh, ooh! Yeah, I I want to watch that. I do. Oh man. I'm I uh you know so I have the book of the uh, of the Game of Thrones and I st- I've started it like many many times uh but I haven't been able to really get into it. there are so many characters that I was really impossible to get into and so now I have uh you know it's it uh, finally you know after way too long it came out on on iTunes and I sprung for it I bought the season it's finally uh, out in the it's finally HBO finally released their cold dead hands their I, icy grip <laughs> are you comparing HBO to Charlton Heston <laughs> you know what's so you know what makes me so mad uh, you know it's been floating around for a while this uh, oatmeal uh, cartoon right comic have you seen the oatmeal comic with the guy with the devil on his shoulder and the angel on I, his other shoulder I have no idea what you're talking about. It's it's really brilliant, and uh, you know, I I think it is loosely related uh, to um, uh, to what we're talking about. Um, it's a comic that is that really captures my problem with what is going on in the world today, and it specifically relates spe- specifically relates to Game of Thrones, which is I think is so funny. So, if you 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 know the oatmeal dot com, the comic. No. Okay, so it's called you just go to theoatmeal.com theoatmeal theoatmeal.com slash comics and then it's game underscore of underscore thrones. Oh, I have seen these guys. I didn't know that's what they were from. Yeah, yeah. So this one specifically is cataloging what happens when uh, he tries to watch Game of Thrones and it's called I Tried to Watch Game of Thrones and this is what happened. I am seeing it right now. The devil on his shoulder. Hey, what you doing? Just finish reading just pirate Game of Thrones. <laughs> right. Exactly. So he says, you know, he can't get it. Availability is unknown in Netflix. Ah, dang, it's not available for streaming. Why don't I just pirate it? Yeah, I suppose that's an option. Hold it. It's easy to rationalize piracy when you picture some billionaire fat cat CEO lining his pockets with your money. But what about the author? He's a hardworking, creative individual, <clears throat> like Andy Nelson, and he deserves to get paid for his work. <laughs> 
you know what, you're right. I've got a credit card in hand and I'm committed to buying this thing. To iTunes we go. But of course, uh, $38.99 to download the entire season, right? Wrong. The downloads are for some free featurettes. The actual show isn't available yet. Okay, iTunes is out. Try Amazon. So they, he tries all these things to get it, right? And nothing, only clips are available. Stupid, dumb HBO. And just forwards me to HBO.com. Well, let's go to HBO and buy directly from the source. Well, you can't do that because you're not a, you don't have cable. You're a cord cutter. Well, now what? <laughs> and so tappity tappity tap, and there it is—the whole season on uh, torrent site, I like torrent page. I know. <laughs> I know, right? It's very lewd. It's lewd. Yes. It's fantastic. Yes. Are you sure about this? Now, instead of the author getting paid, the money is going to those sleazy advertisers. Also, this is illegal, and I'm not sure. Wow, look at how fast it's downloading. That was really easy. And there he's he's downloading yeah. and watching, and that <laughs> is like I. But I didn't do it. I was this close. I really wanted to see it. And I have this credit card in hand, and I want to give them money. I want to give the creators money to watch this show. Right. Instead, you have to wait forever. And finally, when it's close to coming out, it's just really dumb. They did take a long time, it didn't they? It took forever. It's just such a dumb... Now, I know there's probably people out there furious with me for even promoting this kind of thing. I'm not promoting it. I, I am promoting giving money to content creators as a content creator. I promote giving money when the content is ready to see the world. Come on. Here, here. So you haven't gotten into it. Let me tell you, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And so back to my story, I'm reading the book, too, at the same time. It's like I practically have the book open while I'm watching the show. It's terrible. I'm addicted to it. <laughs> I'm addicted to it. I I can imagine getting very addicted to it uh, myself. It seems like exactly the sort of thing that I would... I would enjoy mm -hmm. and I just I haven't yet because it just seems so daunting to yeah. take it all on but well, uh, it, it, it ends up it, it seems epic but it's really it, it is epic but it's only you know it's only 10 episodes for season one so I mean you can get through that in a day yeah that's true <laughs> I had a day to do that in <laughs> oh, <clears throat> take a day put it on the calendar a couple of weeks out take a day tell everybody to leave you alone watch the whole thing yes you should do that I will. I it's will the, it's that. actually the first thing, you know, because iTunes, uh, Apple updated a lot of their iTunes, uh, you know, and, and because they, they updated the Apple TV uh, to now st uh, stream 1080p and because uh, it was always, you know, 720. I believe it was always 720. I didn't I don't have that fancy version of the Apple TV. But uh, so I usually just anything I get from iTunes, I get standard def. Um, but. I have this big fancy monitor here in my office that is uh, HD. It's 1080. And, and uh, so this is the first season that I actually, I splurged and I bought in 1080. Wow. It's, it's so good. Right. It's like you can see I, I'm looking spit. very forward to that one. I, I won't uh, deny it. I really do oh, want to see it. so good. We're not uh, we're not going to talk about that today though anymore. We're done with that. We have another fantastic movie. I don't even know how to have a coherent conversation about this movie. <laughs> Let's have an incoherent conversation. Oh my about gosh! It, do, do you know what I mean? Like I found myself trying to talk to my wife about it over dinner tonight, and like every single sentence, you know, ends with a ridiculous quote. Like I can't describe what happens because I'm too busy quoting the movie. Mm hmm. It's an easy one for that. Oh, man. It is. It really okay. is. So what are we doing? Tell us T about the movie. Tonight, we yeah. are going to be talking about Joe versus the Volcano. John Patrick Shanley's film from 1990 that I think most people would probably gr agree uh, did not fare very well and uh, was, was pretty divisive as far as uh, people's opinions of it. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, uh, there seems to be uh, a a sort of vibe about this movie where you either get it or you don't. Yeah, and unfortunately, there were a lot more people who didn't. Yeah, a lot of people, and uh, you know, it's 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 unfortunate because it's such a great great movie that I think has has uh, stood the test of time. I mean, sure, it has its issues, you know, some things that it tried to do that that didn't work, but for the most part, it's it's such a 
amazing story. I have I have a line here that I wrote down. Somebody, and I unfortunately can't <laughs> recall who um, who said this, but somebody, I'll claim, uh, said it's an existential comedy with adventure and romance. <laughs> and and I think I think that's you know, I think that the existential part I think is what that's the problem. That right. what makes it tricky for people, and the fact that it also is designed as a fairy tale. Yeah, you know, it's this it's this myth about taking risks in your life. That I th I think what happened is too many people went in, and I will say I think a big part of the problem was the marketing. When this film came out, it was designed as kind of a Tom Hanks comedy. You know, this was around the time he was doing The Burbs, Turner and Hooch, yeah, uh, those films. Uh, and it which, was it ended up I being, love, <laughs> but it was his first movie uh, with Meg Ryan, right? First yes. of many, first of three, right? M that were all the same, <laughs> so <laughs> except for this one. So except for this one. So watch this one. Uh, you know, you were going to say something else. You said uh, too many people went in, and then you got off on something else. But I want to hear the end of that sentence. Well, too many people went in expecting it to be. Another just kind of a silly Tom Hanks comedy with, you know, with fun and, you know, money pit laughs and, and just all the, the goofball humor that was going on. Um, and I think it had some of that. But because this film dug deeper and it, it really looked um, in a it, it was designed in a way, like I said, a fairy tale where we see a story where things happen that are completely you know, things that can't really happen in the world, you know, like the whole idea of the volcano island at the end, um, the human sacrifice doesn't end up in the volcano. So the volcano sinks the whole island and that's the end of that society. You know, <laughs> I know it wipes a whole culture <laughs> yeah. off the planet. I mean, uh, you know, other than Al Gore and the, the rising ocean levels, there's no one else who can do that, uh, except in a fairy tale. <laughs> and so, so that's what, <laughs> Uh, that's that's what happens in this. And I think what happened at the end of this film, people saw that and were instantly like, oh, this is so over the top and ridiculous. I, I completely can't get into this because it's it's just nonsense without realizing what the story was actually doing. So that's okay. my long winded explanation. I, I like that long winded. Before we get too far into, you know, talking about the the film itself uh, let's talk a little bit about john patrick shanley because i you know i find this movie uh i find this movie interesting in the collection of movie that he has written he hasn't directed very many movies no very few uh, uh, very few i think two right is, is, am i am i right on that uh well he directed doubt. this and doubt yeah i think that was it doubt and this right um I, where do, how does this movie fit with the the catalog of of Shanley films? So uh, you you sort of have to say this surprised me when I started looking at this right the the um, he his first film that he wrote uh, was Moonstruck yeah which was terrific well it was terrific and he um, won the Academy Award for best screenplay for best screenplay right. Uh, directed by uh, Norman Jewison. Yeah, fantastic movie, which we should talk about. On yeah, this show. we we should. And uh, then he uh, he goes on and writes uh, Five Corners. Uh huh. Uh, not as memorable to me, but it's, you know, it's, it's it was a, good a film. it's a yeah, good film. But but you know, it was uh, you know Tim Robbins, Jodie Foster, um, John Turturro, always fantastic John Turturro. Uh, but. Uh, but, you know, that it just doesn't stand out to me. What stands out to me is the next one, which was uh, January Man, uh, which I believe was a, a, a this was a follow on to A Fish Called Wanda. Wasn't this after Fish Called Wanda for uh, Kevin Klein? Yeah, it was the it was the following year. And and uh, didn't uh, I don't remember this one working very well either. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah. It was a terrible, terrible. I mean, it was, film. it was, it. I don't know how much it cost to make, but it made like four million dollars. Like, it well, was it was. Not, not I a think good it movie. was a, it was a comedy thriller that didn't have any <laughs> thrill. It was neither thrilling nor funny. And it just, and it, as I recall, it just there was not a lot of logic to it. I think the design was like maybe he was going for more of a character study of these people or something, but yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know. It's it was, interesting. It, you know, because... you don't put Harvey Keitel as the police commissioner in anything that's supposed to be funny. <laughs> that's right. I'm. I gotta. I mean, that just doesn't work. Uh, and so that that one that one didn't work. And then we have Joe versus the volcano. Yeah. And so this is the first one that John Patrick, coming off of January Man, John Patrick Shanley writes this movie, and directs it. Yep. Uh, just following uh, these movies, just to run through the, the that which came after Alive in '93, We're Back, a dinosaur story, uh, which is an animated uh, mm-hmm. kids film. Congo, uh, man. Uh, this was an adaptation. Uh, Do you remember the, what he said about this? The one? Michael Crichton <laughs> book. Uh, please, please tell. He uh, he said um, this was at, um, actually at a panel that he was speaking at that you and I were sitting at. Yeah. And somebody asked, "Well, you know, can you tell us uh, why you chose to adapt Congo?" And he said, "Well, have you ever heard of doing something just for the money?" <laughs> Uh, and I was like, that's pretty awesome. Because <laughs> that one uh, really, really doesn't fit. That no. if, if you look at the catalog, it really doesn't fit. No. Uh, and then uh, let's see, live from Baghdad, uh, Michael Keaton and uh, the fantastic Helena Bonham Carter. Oh yeah. Uh, that one was another one. I, I that was a um, it was made for TV. It was an HBO uh, special uh, feature. Waltz of the Tulips. I have not seen. Uh, I don't know anything about that one. No, I, nor do I. And then Doubt, which was, uh, this was a a big one uh, yeah. because it was, uh, it, it was a Pulitzer Prize winning play. Yeah, from uh, 2004. From 2004, sure. And this one uh, ended up st- uh, a, 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 I think a, I would, would I would call this a, a, a hit in its, uh, in its vein. It made money. It had some yeah, fantastic well, was, performances. Oh yeah, it was. I think it uh, it um, did f- quite well for itself. I would um, I would think that just just by having the um, Oscar consideration that it did. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Its budget was twenty million. Box office almost fifty one million. So starring uh, Meryl Streep and the unforgettable Philip Seymour Hoffman and lovely Amy Adams. Lovely Amy Adams. Powerhouse Viola, Viola Davis. Viola Davis. Yeah. It was it was fantastic, uh, fantastic movie, controversial uh, but very strong performances. So that's the that's the catalog of uh, films by John Patrick Shanley. Yes. Uh, so where does how does Joe versus the volcano fit when you look at the 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 John Patrick Shanley the JPS canon? Well, forget about the ones that he just did for the money because I think there's a number of them in here that were just for the money. Um, I, I think he's really looking at interesting ways to tell stories, first of all, you know, and I think that probably is what happened with January man. He was trying to tell a story in a really interesting way and it just completely didn't work. Yeah. Um, Joe versus the volcano. He also told a story in a very unique and interesting way and it really worked. Um, and likewise with doubt, I mean, he, even i mean the 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 play itself was called doubt a parable mm-hmm. so i mean he was telling a story in a you know a specific format um uh, which translated it happened to translate really well to the to the screen and moonstruck i think you know out of the gate just came out as something that he got down on paper and just and told a fantastic fantastic love story but they all have really full characters and even his plays, he's always written just really strong characters that have a lot going on. They're not characters that you you feel like you've seen before. And um, and I, I think that is something that spreads across all of his work is is a way to tell stories in a unique way with fantastic characters. There, um, it, you, one of the things I like so much about about his writing. Uh, there, there are writers who, you know, who just write, you know, they write for the money, they write because they enjoy putting words on paper, right? But there are writers, and I think John Patrick Shanley is, is in this club, uh, you know, this sort of cast where you can tell so clearly 
that every character is is such a, a unique voice uh, that that this is a writer who is holding up this mirror through the voices of these characters to you. Each one of them has this unique lesson that they are they are going to hit you over the head with until you get it. And when you get it, you will have that aha moment. And 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 I think he is so expert about taking this sort of of um, of comedy. There's a pretty dark comedy. I mean, so, you know, I, I need to get the citation here. I was reading another review and it was uh, a guy said it was the funniest movie about suicide you've ever seen. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I think is really, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons that so many people didn't get this movie is because you don't, you don't often, uh, uh, you know, take the time to look in the mirror at what these characters and what Shanley's voice through these characters is trying to teach. And I think that's a very powerful, it ends up being a much more powerful film than, uh, than you know, you, you get on the surface. Yeah. I think it's an interesting movie because I, in, in, well, we can talk about this a little bit more when we sort of dig a little bit into the plot. But, um, you know, I think the lessons of the movie are far more powerful in the first and second act than the third. It sort of falls apart kind of comically for me at the end. Well, and I, I think that specifically for me, it's the Waponies. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just don't think that's ever worked for me, the the orange soda um Jewish, whatever the culture is that they are. Yeah. You didn't, that, that doesn't work for you. Cause that's, that's, I mean, that's I never worked for me. Abe, I, I, Abe Vigoda works for me and that's Abe, about it. Yeah. Abe Vigoda is always fantastic. Yeah. And the volcano itself works for me, yeah. but yeah, the Waponies I've never, it's just never been there. It's never clicked. I, uh, you know, I, I teach this, uh, this class and I'm, you know, speaking specifically of this cast of writers that I, that I think are so, um, powerful. Um, you know, I, I count Arthur Miller, uh, in, in that category. And, and, uh, there is a quote from Arthur Miller that I think is, is so powerful and really gets to, you know, why writers write when they, when they are writing in this voice. Uh, and, and he was asked why he wrote death of a salesman, which is really the, the saddest movie about suicide that you've ever seen. Um, or, or play, I should say. Uh, so he had these, he was asked, what were your motivations behind, uh, you know, writing this play? And he says, there was a smell in the air of a new American empire in the making. And I wanted to set before the new captains and the so smugly confident Kings, the corpse of a believer. That was from the Harold Bloom, uh, book on, uh, Willie Loman. That's awesome. It's, I mean, the corpse of a believer it is such a powerful uh, statement and i you know now i'm i don't uh, who am i to say that that uh, john patrick shanley had any sort of uh, such grandiose ideas um but that is when you look at, at what these characters go through and in this the individual sort of path that they're on mm -hmm. uh it, you get the feeling that they're all on a journey of of the same import in his yeah. head yeah they definitely are it's uh it's it's a real unique journey of i mean somebody who's lost right mm -hmm. it's it's somebody who just doesn't connect with themselves anymore in a strange way it it kind of fits along with fight club in that way yeah somebody who's stuck in a rut and can't get out right um this this guy joe banks he is lonely he's depressed he used to be a firefighter he used to go you know fight danger and then he got scared and he ended up working at this awful awful place i mean it's just it's horrendous he works at american panoscope home of the rectal probe you know a, a, a factory at which they actually count the number of satisfied customers <laughs> that's right home of the rectal probe 700 and whatever twelve thousand satisfied customers yeah yeah Seven hundred twelve thousand seven hundred and sixty-five satisfied. Yes, customers. yes. You get a nice close-up as the number rolls I over. I love it. <laughs> it is brilliant. It's it's filled with awful fluorescent lighting. It's it's gray. It's just well, you know what's dirty. So, what's so interesting? It even starts before that, right? I mean, first of all, the legendary Eric Burden uh, version of of sixteen tons. Yeah, uh, which is absolutely perfect. Oh, yeah. uh, it, but the the scene 
of them walking into this factory mm -hmm. is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. They're walking through this huge parking lot. They're actively throwing crap on the ground. They're all clearly depressed. It's it's the it's about as low as you can get. They're all you know uh, wearing gray and black, and they look just terrible. And it pulls back on this factory, and what you see is um, what I the, immediately in front of them are these turnstiles as it pulls up, and you see right beyond this grotesque factory, you see the city, yeah. right? And it's like they're walking into a prison. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that just sets the tone for for that transition inside, and not just walking into this awful building, but the sidewalk itself leading from the turnstiles to the door is in this in this very unique shape, which is like this funny lightning bolt shape, yeah. this long and crooked road that any man has to traverse to you know journey through his life and all of these people take this horribly long and crooked road to get up to the front of the factory and that's a symbol that comes back you know four times throughout the film uh what is that so that's uh that's what you take from that i mean the uh the lightning bolt uh symbol is the that's the long and crooked road for you that's what I've always taken from it. I don't know what have you. What do you think? No, I, you know, I, I think so too. I just want to, you know, you're the insider. You're the Hollywood <laughs> insider. That's what I've always taken from it. It's the long and crooked road, and I think at one point even says the long and crooked road, which is probably why I connect with that. Hmm. It's been a long and crooked road to get to to you know what's he say? It's toward the end of the film. It's been funny coming here to meet you or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you looking at the script? I am trying to find a page. <laughs> it's a very uh, different ending the film had than the original ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, what was the, well, should we talk about the ending already? I feel like we haven't even started talking about the beginning. That's true. Let's start at the beginning. Right. We'll get to the ending. All right. So I they're just... in this horrible place and the legendary first line, uh, uh, Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya, yeah. Uh, I know he can get the job, but can he do the job, Harry? <laughs> I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? <laughs> I am not arguing that with you. I am not arguing that with you. Uh, I am not arguing that with you, Harry. <laughs> so uh, brilliant. Which ties in so well with everything else in the film. It's so repetitive. It's so lifeless you've got this robot of a boss just re repeating the same conversation every time that you walk into the room the uh, uh the he he goes into his um his his office which is the a a small desk in a small room that is actually cordoned off by shelves right uh for uh stacking catalogs and this is the advertising library. The lighting is uh, horrible, fluorescent, flickering, horrible, fluorescent. And you could, nothing works. Nothing works. Yeah. Uh, every, you can tell it's the office of the dead. The coffee is cold. The creamer sits on it like little creamer island chunks floating. Yeah. It's it's just awful. Yeah, it is really a place of the dead. It is a place of the dead. And his first interaction, I think, with a person is with uh, Meg Ryan Prime. Yes, this is uh, as Dee Dee. Dee Dee. Uh, and she has, uh, this is th that great interaction that, uh, that that sort of sets up the whole relationship of, of him with his with his health and him with women and him with his boss. She said, he says, good morning, Dee Dee. She says, hi, Joe. What's with the shoe? I'm losing my soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How I you think... doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just great. I'm losing my soul. Yeah. It says it all right there. Yeah. It's perfect. Uh, it, he, um, so this whole this whole bit is to set up. He looks terrible. He looks awful, and his whole bit is to set up that he is, uh, uh, that he's, uh, you know, he's in a terrible place. They what? They, there are so many little elements in here that stand out. That that uh, uh, Mister Waturi is on the phone, and 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 the tchotchke that he plays with, 
uh, while he's on the phone. You know, the device that he passes time with with his hands is a is the prototype of the uh, artificial testicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and other things I did not notice the uh, that I, as many times as I've seen this movie, the lamp. I know. I didn't get that. The lamp is the story. Yeah. Did you know the, that? It's it's the story, and it's the first time that we hear Joe's theme play by the amazing George Delarue, who composed the music for the film. It the it's the kind of a music box sound that plays when you plug the light in, and the lampshade spins around. And uh, in a pictorial version on the lampshade, you see kind of the tail of the film. It's pretty amazing that they uh, they put that together. Did you? But did you know that? That's the question. Did you I know, did. When did you find that out? How many times did you see the movie? Just the first time you were like, oh, I totally get that. I'm so smart. Was that how it worked? Probably the second time. Because <sighs> I knew what happened. And then I go, oh, look. That, see, I didn't know that until just now. It's been 20 years. All the little things you keep catching. <sighs> the, and, you know, that speaks really well to the production design of this film. The production design was outstanding and I think should have been noticed uh, because it's just a gorgeous looking film the and you know we've already been talking about it the look of the factory the the death building that this building is i mean it's just atrocious then we've got the amazing magic of this lamp and we'll talk about other elements of the production design as we go Mm -hmm. along but i mean it's it's stunning and i think bo welch did the production design on this right and how do we know and love uh bo welch I'll tell you in a minute. When I hear you, uh, I'd like to hear you whip that out right now, please. If you could. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not arguing that with you. <laughs> I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? Maybe, he, maybe, maybe. He, he, Mr. Watturi walks in and says, Joe, I put you in charge of the entire advertising library. And swings his arms room. around. <laughs> <laughs> I love the do not touch the main drain. Uh, uh-huh. Those elements of that you that everybody has in their jobs. You just know that there are these things that you always wonder about, but you never have the guts to go find out. Mm-hmm. So he goes well, that's, to the, that's what the yeah that, exactly that's what the story is. So anyway, go on. So so he goes to the doctor and he finds out, and this really sets the whole thing in motion. He goes to the doctor. the The doctor is uh, uh, the fantastic. Um, uh, oh God. Robert Frost. Stack. Stack, yeah. Uh, who is... Uh, Robert Frost? Robert Frost. <laughs> who is Robert Where is Frost? my mind going? <laughs> oh. oh, you know that Joe. Andy. <laughs> His mind always goes to Robert Frost. <laughs> anyway, yes, Robert Stack. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, he goes my. to see uh, the great uh, Robert Stack, who is his doctor. And uh, he discovers that he is, in fact, not well. The doctor's office, I think, is another one of those great, uh, great contrasts. It's just, it, it is, you know, it's never that. That's ne- Who goes to a doctor like that? The, the, the waiting room is, uh, <laughs> like, all lined floor to ceiling with that, like, hook, hook board uh, mm-hmm. with the little holes in it. And the nurse is like this ultimate nurse ratchet. And then he walks into the doctor's office, and the doctor's office is this plush mahogany, like, roaring fire in the fireplace. And the doctor <laughs> right. is sitting in the corner in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's just beautiful. So, I mean, that the doctor's office, again is is that exercise in in sort of you know wherever you are right now we're we're the planet that it's farthest from right uh emotionally it's uh and again it speaks highly of the production design from the masterful joe or bo welch (laughs) (laughs) and how do we know bo welch andy he well you may have (laughs) seen a few of these films that he designed the Lost Boys, Beetlejuice, The oh. Accidental Tourist, Ghostbusters 2, Joe vs. the Volcano, Edward Scissorhands, Grand Canyon, Batman Returns, Wolf, A Little Princess, The Birdcage, Men in Black, Primary Colors, Wild Wild West, What Planet Are You From, The Tick, Men in Black 2, Space Chimps, Land of the Lost, Thor, and right now finishing up on Men in Black 3. Wait, did you say Ghostbusters 2? That hit Ernie Hudson vehicle? <laughs> Yes, he didn't have any involvement in the first one. <laughs> he actually also directed um, the some uh, episodes of The Tick from the TV yeah, series yeah. and 
the atrocious movie, The Cat in the Hat. Oh, I'm sorry about that. So, yeah, well, what are you going to do? He's got a lot of other good things. Cat in the Hat. Do you ever too. do you ever watch the uh, the animated Martin Short cat version? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that a lot with my daughter. <laughs> Come on, your mother won't mind if we do. <laughs> Come on, kids. Why don't you get in my flying car? Your mother oh, won't mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little freaky. <laughs> Let's go talk to some bees alone. I, you're, you're really scaring me now. Mm-hmm. That really <laughs> freaks me out. <laughs> oh man! Uh, Woo! Okay. All right. So he's in the. He goes to the doctor, and what he hears from the doctor is that he does not have cancer, uh, and in fact, he is not. He the symptoms that he's suffering from have absolutely nothing to do with his disease, with a disease. Because all he has is is uh, hypochondria. <laughs> hypochondria and a brain cloud. <laughs> he should be feeling fine, but he doesn't because he's a hypochondriac. Oh, by the way, you have uh, a brain a, a cloud. Brain cloud. <laughs> what does he say? He says, so I'm not sick except for this terminal disease? <laughs> <laughs> And he's given what, like six months to live or something, a few few weeks or months yeah, to live. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, I have a brain cloud. You have a brain cloud. A brain cloud. There's a black fog of tissue running right down the center of your brain. It's very <laughs> rare. It will spread at a regular rate. It's very destructive. And it's incurable. Yes. Six months. You can pretty much count on it being about that. It's not painful. Your brain will simply fail, followed abruptly by your body. You can depend on at least four and a half to five months of perfect health. <laughs> uh, and he's just the right man he to deliver all of that. Was perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Because you just everything Robert Stack says, you have to believe. You do, and that I, goes for yeah. Robert Frost too. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Frost was very believable. Oh. Uh, okay so he 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 uh so where do you go from here well and then i think one of the most touching scenes of the film once he's found out he's dying he walks out of the doctor's <laughs> office and we're listening to ray charles singing old man river beautiful rendition and it's just joe and and it's funny because you see the exterior of the doctor's office and it is exactly the opposite of what we just saw in the doctor's office it's a horrendous office I mean, a horrendous <laughs> exterior of this dumpy little building. Now, you, and uh, Joe goes and, and there's this woman walking her Great Dane. And <laughs> Joe, in all of his, uh, you know, feeling very depressed, hugs right. the lady. And then he hugs the Great Dane. <laughs> the Great just... Dane, who doesn't really want to be touched by Joe, <laughs> takes a little bit. <laughs> oh, it's it's great. It is it is a great moment. It's a great moment in front of a in front of a building. This building is perfect. Nine forty one uh, is the building. I don't know. It's, what is the significance of the address? You know, there's got to be something. I don't know. That's I, a good question, though. What I love so much about the building is that they they found this building with a giant facade, uh-huh. and this and the brickwork is just solid brick and it's massive and they pull out and it the it's like the building never ends yeah right and, and it makes him look so small and it's this oddly placed staircase coming down from like the second story down to the ground level on this wall yeah it's 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 so funny looking and down to his little tiny car his little tiny car and then that scene ends with him coming back to work. He sees the flower that somebody stepped on earlier, uh, and he gently lifts it back up, and it, it kind of is a turn for him. Yeah, and it, it, you know that's you know essentially his um, the uh, inciting incident here in the script that pushes him into the rest of the story. So the uh, you know we've we could I think we could do scene by scene for the next two and a half hours. Uh, as we walk through it. So we easily could. We easily could. And so in, with that in mind, let's... Uh, let's there, not. <laughs> there are the transformative moments. And yes, to me, well, the next one is telling off Mr. Waturi, which happens to be right now. In the film. <laughs> which happens to be the very <laughs> next scene. <laughs> but we will but skip many after scene that. Scene. <laughs> but here's the next scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to do that, but we are going to talk about the telling off. Yes. Uh, and and he uh, and so he goes in and he, he takes off his hat, 
And you can tell by the look of his face, Tom Hanks, he plays this transition so perfectly. You can tell the second he walks in the door that, uh, uh, you know, he's still talking. Mr. Waturi is still talking to Harry as Tom Hanks chucks his hat in the trash can and starts messing with people. Let me call you back. I've got something here, okay? And don't tell him anything until we finish our conversation, okay? And then he starts, he's like throwing paper away. He's he's like messing with uh, with Didi and... Uh, uh, and he starts acting with artificial all of the testicles. artificial testicles and the artificial hand. And you can tell, like, this is this is the moment as he's arm wrestling the artificial hand. This is the moment he is taking back his life right now. Yeah. I love that. I love that bit. And he yeah, he and then he asks Dee Dee out and it's it's beautiful. He's finally had something happen in his life that breaks through that wall of fear that he's been living all this time. Right. And he's able to now step through and say, you know what? I'm dying. I'm going to take a risk again. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. It's really powerful. So that, that is the first big transformational moment. He asked Didi out. It is a beautiful, a beautiful speech. And it's the one that, uh, uh, it, it's one that I really, uh, I really stick to, uh, uh, I really go back to whenever I'm thinking about, uh, 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 about making a big change in my life. You know, when he says, when he says, I've been here for four and a half years, the work I did here, I probably could have done in five, six months. That leaves four years left over. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they do a lot of these high angles, you know, where they're looking down at him from the, from the perspective of the light, uh, as he's, as he's screaming about 400 bucks a week. Yeah. Uh, it's just a perfect moment. It and, is. It's, and, it's, yeah. As he, yeah. And as he walks through the books that he's had in his desk that he's never read, which again tell the story of the movie Robinson Crusoe and the Odyssey. Romeo and, and Juliet. And Romeo and Juliet. It's perfect. Pulls out his ukulele. Yeah. yeah. Ukulele. All right. So what's the, what's the next transformational moment for you? Well, <laughs> is it the next scene? scene? <laughs> it will. And I, I, you know, I don't want to talk about the next scene only to say, again, a, a wonderful example of the production design by Joe. Uh, I keep saying Joe because we're talking about Joe, but Bo Welch. Um, Bo we Welch see of, the of date the tick? with what's that of the tick fame, the, the tick and, yes. and Ghostbusters, too. <laughs> that's, that's the one. Oh, and space does, chimps and space chimp he does great work he's, all right he's, he's the man he um after this wonderful dinner between the two where we really get a sense that they're falling in love and there's a connection happening we see them uh we see the restaurant that they've been in outside of which there is a billboard uh featuring a an image of like a tropical island paradise, like come to the come to the tropics or something <laughs> like that. So we've got that. We've got the sailor standing under the street light. So it's got that iconic image of, you know, that travel and adventure with the seas. And then the cityscape itself, instead of just the city at night, what they actually did is they went in and all of the different buildings, they lit up with a different color. So each building you've got like this all of the like windows at night are all red in one building and yellow in the other. Mm -hmm. It's just a stunning way to portray one, this magical fairy tale world that we're in, but two, the magic of love and, and the feelings that they're having right now. It's, it's stark it's, contrast to the gray that we have spent the last, you know, 27 minutes experiencing. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's all I wanted to say about that. But it's just, it just goes to speak toward the amazing thought that was put into the design of the look and feel of this film. You know, it's funny though, I, as we're looking at it, is there any, so what do you say to the person who says, oh, it's really, they're, they're trying to hit us over the head. It's way too obvious. It's, it's a fairy tale right from the start of this film. It says, once upon a time, there was a guy named Joe. They're telling us right at the start expect you know i mean you know fairy tales they tell us a, a kind of a simple story it's a parable they tell us a simple story to get across more important messages so it's things that we've seen before because they're easy to identify with they're easy to connect to and because of that we're able to get a deeper message about 
the importance of doing something with your life out of the film. Well, that was really well said. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I, that was that was that was really good. You you must be an insider, Hollywood insider. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I love the fact that that uh, Meg Ryan Prime gets actually freaked out and is spooked off. Uh, that there, there's something about that I haven't been able to put my finger on, right? Uh, but there is something about her wigging out and leaving the apartment right after they're you know they're supposed to they they start kind of hooking up, and he says I have a brain cloud and I'm going to die in six months, and she says I can't do it, I got to go, and she leaves. Yeah, and yet he gets another chance yeah. with Meg Ryan again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this next Meg Ryan is weird too. Uh, the next Meg Ryan is uh, uh, a flipper to gibbet. I'm a flipper to gibbet. She's, she's Angelica. Angelica. Angelica Granamore. I'm a flipper to gibbet. She's perfect. Uh, she is, uh, and Meg Ryan, I mean, uh, you know, she, she, <laughs> she is great. In this movie. She is. And, you know, Meg Ryan's not done anything good in a long time. But I think people, and maybe Meg herself, I don't know. But it just really feels like she's not found the right roles to play anymore. Or she's not looking or they're not offering them. I don't know. But she's just not in the right things. And she did so well in, like, the romantic comedy genre. I mean, when Harry Met Sally, Joe vs. the Volcano... Sleepless in Seattle. She really knew how to make those films. Well, what's so funny about these, uh, about, you know, this movie is that we see two, really two very different sides of Meg Ryan as an actress. We get to see her as a character actress. Yeah. And we get to see her as a, a uh, you know, the romantic, uh, you know, lead to this relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I'm glad you said that because you're right. We're really seeing those two, those two ways of her playing these roles. She has enormous comic range and a really sensitive, uh, sort of approachable side that makes you just have a total crush on her. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I think, you know, who, who knows why she's not getting those roles anymore, but what she's, you know, what she's doing now is not, uh, it's, it's no Joe. No, I miss these days of Meg Ryan. Yeah, I do. I really do too. Uh, okay, so she uh, she meets uh, <laughs> she meets the great uh, uh, Mr. Grainamore. He he meets the yeah yeah he meets the great Mr. Grainamore. Lloyd Bridges. Uh, Lloyd Bridges. What a, what a talent, man! What a. Looks talent. like I picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue. <laughs> uh, oh. So he, uh, so he is the rich industrialist uh, who uh, comes to Joe's place and tells him, you know, in fact, I'm going to give you a bunch of money to go throw yourself into a volcano. Because I need boobaroo. Boobaroo. And the only place to get it is this island. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, it's, that in itself is awesome. So and this funny. So, so begins the hero's journey. Let me, let me, I want to take just a quick side note. So the, uh, the boobaroo is on par with apparently in the, uh, engineering world, unobtainium, which is what they are seeking in, in avatar. Yeah. It's another word for that. Something that's unobtainable that these people are trying to get any extremely rare, costly or impossible material. And so boobaroo (laughs) is in the same world as unobtainium i thought that was a very interesting little side note all right now because i thought it was just a made-up word (laughs) well first of all that they didn't actually use boobaroo in avatar is really depressing (laughs) james cameron can you see can you see that can you just see what's his what's his name the little scrawny engineering guy (laughs) sending them army down into into, as if it wasn't bad enough they were getting i need you to go get the boobaroo You got to go get the boob. I don't care about these tribes, people. Wipe them out. I need my boobaroo. <laughs> well, that would have been so good. Uh, I, I wonder if they're actually Prometheus. That's it. They're actually looking for boobaroo. That's, and, you know, yeah. I you can't might wait. Might. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yes, Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges is fan. 
fantastic as he ignites the hero's journey here and yeah. and Joe uh, begins his journey. Uh, and so summarize the journey. Well, very quickly, yeah. he he goes through two versions of Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan squared and Meg Ryan tripled, uh, not, not tripled, Cubed. I don't know. Cubed, thank you. <laughs> Although it doesn't even make sense, but yes. Alpha, so Angelica, who is uh, Graynamore's first daughter, and then we meet Patricia, his second daughter, and yeah. he goes um, on a boat with Patricia Graynamore, who is going to take him to the island of Waponi Woo, where he will jump into the volcano because these islanders believe that the volcano needs a sacrifice, and if they, if Grainamore can get this guy to jump in the volcano. They'll give him all the boobaroo he needs to make his superconductors. So that's the journey. <laughs> that <laughs> is the journey. <laughs> and this is where, and so the whole, you know, there are a couple of highlight elements. Uh, the 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 sort of the people that he meets along the way, right? His uh, um, his guides. Yeah. Uh, take take the most interesting form. Uh, first, his uh, his the driver. Played by the uh, wonderful Ozzy uh, Davis, yeah. uh, is uh, he is is the most unassuming uh, fashionista, <laughs> and, and and he he shows Joe uh, how to how to dress. Right, clothes make the man, Mister Banks. I believe that. Uh, and, uh, and so he first takes him there and then he, then they go and then he meets, uh, his, his next guide, uh, who is, uh, who sells him luggage. Uh, very, and, very McGovern, which is so, so good. Uh, uh I need it? to get to that, that bit in the, uh, uh, in the script because it really is, uh, it was so perfect. Have you thought much about luggage, Mr. Banks? <laughs> no, I never really have. It is the central preoccupation of my life. You travel the world, you're away from home, perhaps away from your family. All you have to depend on is yourself and your luggage. <laughs> it is it is so perfect because the luggage, what, what ends up so important about the luggage is that it saves his life. Yeah. This experience with this luggage salesman saves his life. It does. An ocean voyage. Ah, yes, so. A real <laughs> journey. He is great. He is so great, and it's such a small role, and yet, uh, and yet, it ends up providing kind of an anchor to this pivotal piece of the of the film. Exactly, because these are hugely awkward things to be traveling around with. Right. It's the luggage of his life that he's dragging with him, but in, it does end up kind of saving him. You know, it becomes, it becomes the uh, the. I, I don't know what I'm. I lost my metaphor there. <laughs> it becomes something. No, it was good. something great that <laughs> I totally lost that one. <laughs> I had such a good one earlier there. That was I, good. <laughs> no, you can, that's good. You keep that. Yeah. We'll just remember so, the first time. Yes, just just tell us more about Bo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so he goes to the, he stays at the pier Wild hotel, Wild and and he uh, he's he's dropped off. Ozzy dropped him off, drops him off, and then we get to meet. Uh, so he meets uh, you know Meg Ryan, Theta, and uh, she ends up being the one that you fall in love with. I mean, he falls in love with. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all fall in love with. Who am I kidding? She's she's just great in this. Yeah. And, and, you know, also on the journey through the, we, we have the boat crew, which is, you know, it's a great little crew also, but a part of the journey, which we didn't touch on is the big typhoon that happens partway through and sinks the boat again, giving us a glimpse of this lightning shaped, right. um, the lightning bolt that comes down in this, the same shape as the sidewalk right. at the beginning, destroying the boat. The luggage saves his life. He saves Patricia. This is another example of the fabulous Bo Welch, Bo Ghostbusters 2 <laughs> Welch. <laughs> and I think this is this is one of the most amazing things that I still think I've seen in, in film. The moment in the middle of the typhoon when he he pulls Patricia up off of the deck after she's been knocked over. 
and the music swells. You have the full orchestral version of Joe's theme as he, as Joe Banks and Patricia Granamore look at each other. They're about to kiss. Just in that one shot of the film, the production designers changed every single pulley on the ship behind the actors from the round-shaped pulleys that they normally are to heart-shaped pulleys. <laughs> Just oh, for the one shot that is so great it's amazing i didn't know that either i had never made the connection that it was only that one shot i mean i know i noticed the heart-shaped pulleys but i always thought wow isn't that cool they decked that boat out with heart-shaped pulleys it's the one shot it's just the one shot and then uh, and then she gets knocked into the water he has to save her the boat sinks and all that but yeah you'll never see those heart-shaped pulleys on the boat on any other time that is great yeah. Now there is it, a bit of a goof there. You know the, the uh, you know the boom arm the the arm should it, knock Tom Hanks handily off the boat as well. And somehow it doesn't. It only knocks her off. That's right. That's right. I've never been frustrated about that until now. I've never been frustrated about that. It's you know that happens. <laughs> eh, what are you gonna do? It is what it is. Yeah. It's it's a fairy tale. So they spend the next uh, they spend the next while on his luggage. They, he ties them up and he puts her on the luggage and uh, uh, he uh, you know gives her the only drops of water that he has and ends up saving her life. Yeah, only to be discovered by the Waponi Woo. You know she has a line on the boat that I want to read real quick because I think this sums up a lot about the movie. That's good. That'll move us along. Yeah, she says. My father, being um, Samuel Grainamore, my father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to, that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. Ah. And I think that, you know, that's, we're looking at a film about some, about that very person. You know, Joe is that person we're talking about, the person who's asleep, who is now trying to wake up. Yeah. And then he dances to come and go with me. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I, you know, I sort of feel like that's the, uh, that's the kind of, um, the, the, the bookend to that, to her line is, you know, you see him he's he's learning to open up through this journey and then he is alone he's in the middle of the ocean and he's dancing like a madman to come and go with me and you know you can just see by the movements in his body this is the very first time he's let himself do something like that yeah he's finally alive yeah and and then his moment with god or a higher power whatever you want to call it at night when the moon comes up and this you know Talking earlier, or going mm-hmm. back to our conversation about John Patrick Shanley, this and Moonstruck really tie in with the power of the moon and, you know, kind of that feeling that it mm-hmm. brings. He has that prayer that he gives to the moon. I mean, it's this enormous moon. I mean, it's the biggest moon I've ever seen ever. It rises. And it's the yeah. most stunning moonrise I've ever seen portrayed. We see this gorgeous moonrise. He falls to his knees. He prays to the moon. And then he ends with... I forgot how big, and then yeah. he collapses into unconsciousness. The enormity of life that he and, and the power that you can get from your own life that it's easy to forget is there if you just kind of fall into this rut of working with rectal probes. <laughs> <laughs> Man, how many times do you hear that? In a day? <laughs> oh, oh, man. Awesome. So, so he goes off to the island, you know, and he, and now he's confronted. He's, con, he's, he is going to jump into the volcano, right? Yeah. So this is a man who's going to take those steps. He's not going to sit by idly anymore in his life. He's going to be that person who has his eyes open. He's awake and he is going to jump. And Patricia decides, you know, she's made a lot of bad decisions in her life as well. She's been living under her father's thumb and she's finally going to step out. She's in love with Joe and she is convinced now. She believes that she's going to, their love is so strong that she's going to jump with him. And this, and then here's another great line. When they're about to jump, she says, Joe, nobody knows anything. 
We'll take this leap and we'll see. We'll jump and we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That's talk the fairy about, tale. Well, yeah. Talk about, you could say that about any relationship. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's exactly what that line is. It's just taking a leap of faith. I'm sorry. I've got the movie playing, you know, and I haven't gotten to that point. <laughs> <laughs> you're being all talking about the, the serious awesome part and i'm watching them get bathed mm. that is one of the one of the best sequences as they as as she is getting this full-on manicure pedicure and he is getting fruit like just shoved in his face and getting beaten with fish <laughs> and has an octopus stuck to his face and it's just awful all right I'm moving on now. What, what oh, were you saying? That's is, just a great bit. Though. It's a great bit. Okay, so you it take is. a leap and you see. Yeah, and so there. this is, you know, a metaphor for taking the leap into any of the unknowns in our life, right? And it's, uh, it's what a lot of people are afraid to do and why a lot of people end up stuck in a place they don't want to be because right. they are too afraid to take that leap. And so they take the leap. And then... This is, you know, I can even, I realize, you know, this is, we're sort of deep in the third act. They're kissing, the volcano's getting angry, and uh, and then they take the leap. Yes. And I just don't, I... You don't like that? Is it that, the part that you don't like when the yeah, volcano spits them out? I think that's, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that makes me, it makes me feel dirty to even say it. That's okay. No, it's not okay. Because this, you know, okay, this is why I'm so torn. How well, do you write your way out of this as a fairy tale if you don't have the volcano spit them out? Well, here's my question. Is it that you don't like the fact that the volcano spits them out or you don't like the way that it looks on film? Like yeah, the way no, I think you're probably, I think that's probably the latter. Because <laughs> I don't think, I, I don't think it was captured very well. I think it's a little silly. Looking at it now, it feels a little dated. But okay, I'm watching uh, them jump right now. Okay. The steam comes up and they're very clearly, it's just really not good. It's, yeah, it's a little dated. I actually almost prefer the wide shot where you just see the stream. You see the stream, the smoke stream, like <laughs> spitting them out. I, I like that. That is bit. actually funnier. That's actually yeah. funnier. And then the volcano sinks and, the, and, uh, and they both live. Yep. They both live. Ending they the both, fairy tale. Uh, Sit. And this is where that line comes in that I was trying to remember earlier, which I did find in the script, where uh, after he's, uh, you know, they've kind of fallen, they, they, they're both alive, they're on his trunks, and everything's wonderful, and she says, uh, actually, it comes right after the, we'll jump and we'll see, that's life, and then he says, actually, I take it back, this, jump backward, this is right before they jump into the volcano, mm -hmm. he says, I saw the moon when we were out there on the ocean, shining down on everything. I'd been miserable for so long, years of my life wasted, afraid. I've been a long time coming here to meet you, a long time on a crooked road. That's it. So, that's the line. <sighs> Good stuff. Okay, so this is the, they, they look at each other, they jump in a slow-mo stylized leap. Right after they jump in, the platform slides into the volcano which looks like a face. The face grimaces. We hear a gastronomic groan. Then the volcano spits out Joe and, Patri and Patricia, who are holding hands. Rocketing mm. against a background of fire and explosions come rocketing right at us and by the camera. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it didn't quite play out like that. No. Man. In the other they should remake this in 3D. <laughs> they could come right into our eyes yeah that might be a little much okay so what were you gonna say oh i was gonna uh, mention the other version of the script and yeah. how it's a little different and i think actually this version is much better the other ending i think was uh it just felt a little sloppier um because as they come back up and they're you know, trying to figure out how they're going to um, make it back to shore, being on out in the middle of the ocean mm -hmm. uh, with no island or boat around them anymore. They um, come across um, another boat that happens to be there, and it's her father's boat with her father and the doctor on it. Mm -hmm. 
and it's this little you know battle that ensues or whatever where they kind of take over the boat and and you know get these guys and realize the scheme that they had hatched to and it was involved with the with joe and the doctor in order to make this whole thing happen right it was just it was just kind of an unnecessary ending right too much too it, it was, was that uh, believe it or not that's that would have been heavy-handed yeah well <laughs> 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 you know this is one of those interesting kind of uh moments where the the final scene they they really it is just this uh uh, this little conversation where he he almost starts to slip, but because she reminds him that he is actually free, uh, that even though they're stuck on the ocean, they took a chance and they lived, and now they have the rest of their lives, however long that is. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yep. It is. There's a lot to learn from this movie. I feel like a better man already for just talking about it. I can watch this movie time and time again. It's just such a such a beautiful film and it it has its problems we've acknowledged yeah. that but on the whole it's just such a wonderfully told story um about taking risks in life and doing something and just I've always always loved it uh so what are you going to do tomorrow uh that that really you know says that proves you've learned something uh you going to go run uh, run with some bulls I am. I'm gonna go go uh, uh, chase down a tumbleweed, and you should you should chase down a tumbleweed. <laughs> Great. So this movie actually uh, didn't do uh, very well in the uh, no. box office, but it is, you would say, a cult hit. Yeah, I mean, it actually is a loss in the box office. Forty-five million was the budget. Box office was thirty nine million. So yeah, that's <laughs> didn't a shame. do very well. Yeah. But it is. It it definitely has grown to have a cult following, and a lot of film critics who who didn't like it, I think, now have have looked at it again and have come around. And I shouldn't say a lot, but there are film critics out there who've come around and now say, you know what, I see more in this than yeah. I did see before, and I Even, think that's important. It, you know, the uh, the Roger uh, actually well, liked it in the beginning. Yeah, and actually, I would let me read his uh, opening line of his review because I think it speaks very highly of the film. Gradually, during the opening scenes of Joe vs. the Volcano, my heart began to quicken until finally I realized a wondrous thing. I had not seen this movie before. Most movies I have seen before, most movies you have seen before, most movies are constructed out of bits and pieces of other movies like little engines built from cinematic erector sets, but not Joe vs. the Volcano. It is not an entirely successful movie, but it is new and fresh and not shy of taking chances. And the dialogue in it is actually worth listening to because it is written with wit and romance. That's that's really nice of Roger to write. Well, I think he's right. You know, there aren't a <laughs> lot of unique movies. <laughs> It, it, it that is that is very true and that, that's a really astute kind of uh observation that is it is a, a movie that even even today two decades later feels like a wholly original movie even with as much as it borrows from you know so many of you know, the sort of fairy tale fairy tale gestalt i mean it really it still feels like an original film right it does Good talk, Andy. Yes, good talk about a great, great film. And I hope, you know, I hope our listeners, all five of them or however many we have, <laughs> I hope they all go out and watch this. They and should. I hope I hope they uh, are able to appreciate the uh appreciate it for something other than what they if they had seen it before and didn't like it, something they can find something in it now, or yeah. if they've never seen it, hopefully they can just uh, see it for what it is. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yes. Listen to your mother. <laughs>